Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Last year, we launched our course, The Data-Driven Classroom, and had hundreds of educators and clinicians take this course with consistently amazing feedback. I heard from so many teachers how this course really changed the way they approach data, how they were able to set up simple data systems, train their paras, and be collecting data to make data-based decisions within days of finishing the course. That feedback made me so happy. Now that course has been closed and unavailable since last year, but guess what? We are reopening the course, the data-based classroom, and I want you to be one of the first ones in. If data is something you have been struggling with for years, let's work on this together. Let me give you all of the tools to make this something that can consistently happen in your classroom. And guess what? Since you are a podcast listener, and I absolutely love my podcast listeners, I have an awesome code for you. When you use the code DATA100, you're going to get $100 off of the course bundle. Now, this code is only going to be usable until March 20th. So you only have one week to use this code, but Data 100 will get you $100 off of that course bundle. So that means for less than $200, you are getting the amazing data toolkit with literally hundreds of data sheets, all editable. And don't worry, I teach you how to edit it. And that entire data-driven course that touches on academic data, behavior data, staff training, and so much more. There's a link in the show notes with all of the information. Let's make this year the year that data really works. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. special little treat for you all today. I am sharing a recording of a webinar that I did just for the Autism Helper Professional Development Membership. We had the chance to sit down with Dr. Mary Barbera and hear all about her new book and ask her some questions. Mary is a nurse, a parent, and a board-certified behavior analyst. She is the author of the very popular and hugely influential book, The Verbal Behavior Approach, and has a brand new book coming out called Turn Autism Around, an action guide for parents of young children with early signs of autism. I was so excited to bring Mary to the membership because I know how much value she brings to this community. I love chatting with her about ABA and communication and different strategies to use with both parents and teachers because she has such a user-friendly approach. She gives great practical advice in a variety of forms. I love checking out her video blogs on her website and her books are so relatable. We actually had people during the webinar that were like, I want to order 10 of these books so I can give one to each of my parents. So let's jump in with the recording. She's going to tell us all about her new book, and you'll get to hear some of the questions that members got to ask her. 
for everyone that maybe doesn't know you, which I feel like there's very few people, so everyone's going to hopefully know who you are. Um, could you give a little bit about, you know, your story? I love how you share your like fall into the autism world. Could you share a little bit about your background? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, I've known Sasha for a couple of years now, and we did a podcast swap a while <laughs> back. So she was on my podcast. I was on hers once before. So it's great to be here. So I fell, I always say I fell into the autism world in the late 1990s when my firstborn son, Lucas, uh, first started to show signs of autism. Um, around 18 months of age, my husband first mentioned the possibility of autism when Lucas was just 21 months old. And I told him on that day that I never, ever wanted to hear the word autism again. I told him he was crazy. It wasn't a thing. Um, and I was a nurse, uh, by training at that point, I had a master's degree in nursing and he's a physician. So we, we came at it through a medical model, but back in the late 1990s, I mean, autism was not like all over the place like it is today. I mean, the internet was just coming to be a thing. There was no Facebook. And really all I had was a brief clinical rotation in nursing at a residential placement for teenagers and uh, watching the movie Rain Man. So that's kind of what I thought autism was. Um, and I didn't know what it looked like in a toddler. So I, my husband started getting concerned because um, we brought Spencer home from the hospital, my second son, and um, Lucas was like oblivious. He didn't hate it. He didn't love it. He didn't, we literally could have brought home a plastic baby doll and put it in the crib and he would have said the same thing. <laughs> um, I didn't know that that was odd, but it was, and it was delayed. And he had some words. He was warm and cuddly with me, you know, so I told my husband, don't bring it up. He didn't bring it up again. Like we, it was like basically the elephant in the room. And, you know, Lucas went on and he went to typical preschool when he turned to uh, without support. He didn't have any major crying. He wasn't hitting anybody. He wasn't banging his head. He wasn't, he was just like a quiet kid who kind of, you know, sat in circle time, wasn't rolling around on the floor. Um, but, you know, by mid-year of two and a half, um, you know, kids were coming out. Can I go over to Johnny's house and play? And I'm trying to get Lucas to say ball. Uh, he had some words, but I had no idea how to teach him to talk at this point. Um, I knew really nothing. So the day before he turned three, he was diagnosed with moderate to severe autism. And right before he was diagnosed, I read some books, uh, namely Let Me Hear Your Voice by Catherine Maurice, which seems to be like at my age with my children in the 90s was everybody's Bible. You know, and that book uh, showed that kids could actually become indistinguishable from their peers um, if given really intensive ABA therapy. And so I right away, like went in with that. That's basically what got me out of denial. Like as soon as I learned that there was something that could be done uh, to really make a difference, I was like, oh my gosh, I got, I got to get the diagnosis yesterday. Like I got to get on this. And so when I asked the doctor, when he gave us that, that diagnosis, he basically was like, no, like he's too impaired at this point. He's just about three, the next day he turned three, he's very impaired. Um, I haven't seen it in my long career where somebody like Lucas catches completely up. And so while he didn't say it, like my denial really 
prevented Lucas from reaching his fullest potential and made me feel extra guilty. So I felt like I fell into a really deep hole. And, and at the time there were no books. There was, you know, I'm begging the speech therapist to give me homework. I'm, you know, searching. I mean, there's no videos, there's no how to's. Um, I used to turn my back and he'd strip, Lucas would strip down into his diaper. I had no idea how to keep him dressed. I had no idea how to teach him to blow out his candle on his third birthday cake. I had no idea how to teach him to talk. I didn't know what a color control was. I didn't know what a man was. I didn't know uh, really what anything was. <laughs> I was just like, oh my goodness, we are in trouble. And so it took me, you know, two decades to climb out of the hole and to start climbing a mountain with Lucas on my back and lots of people. And, and at some point pretty early on you know i got like angry because the pediatrician gave me false reassurance he didn't know the early warning signs i uh, you know i got like this is nuts like if if we're like very educated in the medical field and this is what is people are facing like this is just mm -hmm. a social injustice issue you know just like i got crazy like I got to do something. And so I founded the local autism chapter and I became a board certified behavior analyst in 2003, wrote my first book in 2007, the verbal behavior approach, how to teach children with autism and related disorders, basically because people would, you know, come to my house or I'd see them and they were like, what can I do? You know? And I was like, I couldn't recommend, let me hear your voice anymore. I couldn't recommend potty training in a day anymore because I knew now differently. Mm -hmm. I knew how to put together a verbal behavior type of ABA program. And that's really when I really wrote my first book. And, and you know, I didn't think it was going to be any big deal, but I got Mark Sundberg to write the foreword. I got endorsements from Jack Michael and Cooper and all the professionals, as well as parents. You know, parents were able to read it just as well as professionals. And now it's being used in a lot of graduate level coursework. That's what I love about that book is that I recommend it to parents all the time and to teachers all the time because it's founded, you know, in an evidence-based approach, but it's readable, you know, like a parent, parents that are overtired and desperate can sit and read it and understand what you're talking about. So it's so relatable to so many groups. Yeah. So I use, you know, a lot of stories in there and, um, it's published in over a dozen languages now. Awesome. I've traveled around the world speaking on autism. And then, um, and for, you know, the teachers, which is your, you know, really gift to the world is, is training teachers mostly. I mean, I know you have other people here besides teachers, but, you know, I think teachers are just so critical and, and they, they oftentimes, at least back in the 90s and the 2000s, weren't getting, you know, they were getting like ABA, kind of old school ABA versus really natural environment teaching, which didn't always work. And, you know, and there's a lot of confusion. So part of what kind of got me to learn how to teach not just Lucas, but a bunch of other kids is right when Lucas was entering kindergarten and I was finishing up my ABA coursework, 
I got a job offer to become the lead behavior analyst for the Pennsylvania Verbal Behavior Project, which was a statewide grant. It's now the Patent Autism ABA Supports Initiative, but back then it was called the Verbal Behavior Project. And so basically we went in and we provided guided practice to teachers, speech pathologists, paraprofessionals, school bus drivers, cafeteria workers, whoever would listen. And we brought parents in and we really trained anybody who wanted to learn about ABA using Skinner's analysis of verbal behavior to um, program for kids in schools, preschools to some degree, three-year-olds um, up to 21. And um, really that was a great training for me because it wasn't just about Lucas, it was mm -hmm. about every child, you know, from very impaired to very mild to inclusion settings to, you know, um, gym class to, you know, the whole, you know, uh, direct instruction curriculum. We got tr uh, lots of training. I went with the Verbal Behavior Project. We went up to the Carbone Clinic like eight, 10 times for two days at a time. I and mean, it was just world-class training and um, really learned a lot and learned alongside teachers and learned alongside parents. And so when I give lectures, you know, when I've gone to Australia or Hawaii, or you know, those are the fun places. I've also been <laughs> to not, you know, uh, warm, exotic places too. But, you know, people, organizers would be like, oh, well, could you do the morning with parents and then the afternoon with the educators? And I always said, no, I want to, I wanted to talk to both. Yeah. I, I, I'll forget what I said to one group versus the other. And you know what? I'm going to talk the same way to everybody because yeah. I think, I don't think it's um, worth it for me to try to talk, you know, in behavioral lingo when I've spent my whole life trying to bring things to where everybody can understand and not to be overly technical. Cause I think that's really where, you're going to make the most difference. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And that's what our field needs, you know, to make it accessible and to teachers, to parents, to everyone. Um, to kind of touch back on what you were saying a few minutes ago, for maybe those that aren't familiar, can you give a little, a brief, because I know there's a lot to say on it, but a brief summary of what the verbal behavior approach is and how it's kind of under the umbrella of ABA, but a little bit of a distinction. Yeah, so applied behavior analysis is the big umbrella term, and it's the science of changing socially significant behavior. So applied behavior analysis as the science is not about teaching kids with autism. It's about applying the science. And so people, when people say, oh, I don't like ABA, I tried ABA, it doesn't work, whatever. It's like, if we're talking about the science, you know, it's like saying, I don't believe in gravity. Like if you reinforce a behavior, it will go up. It's just a, a, um, 
a fact, right? But where people really struggle with ABA programming is under that umbrella. It's kind of like having soda as your umbrella. And then under the soda, under the soda category, we've got Coke and Sprite and Pepsi and, and all different kinds of sodas. Or religion is the over, overarching um, category and then under Catholicism, Judaism, that sort of thing. So under the umbrella of applied behavior analysis programming for kids with autism, we have, you know, the LOVAS or traditional ABA approach. We have natural environment teaching and we have um, the other kind of methodologies, natural environment teaching, uh, early intensive behavioral intervention. Some of these things really are morphed together, you know, the different types of procedures. Um, but under there, I would consider Skinner's analysis of verbal behavior or the verbal behavior approach. So, um, so why it's different is because we take Skinner's book, 1957 book called Verbal Behavior. And I didn't take that book necessarily and make it into the verbal behavior approach. But over the years, over the decades, people like Dr. Jack Michael, who recently passed away, and, and Mark Sundberg, and a bunch of other people, uh, clinicians and researchers, have taken that work and applied it and created curriculums like first the ABLES and then the VB map and those sorts of, of curriculum. And they've taken it so that we can begin to use the science to teach kids. And I'd say the, the biggest distinction between traditional ABA, which I did with my son for over a year, versus incorporating the verbal behavior approach is that we look at the functions, not just a problem behavior, but we look at the functions of language. And so if you say, can a child talk or not? Oh yeah, the child has 10 words, then I'm going to want to know how they use those words or what the function is of those words. Do they mand for things, which is a request? Do they tact or label something? Do they echo you, echoics, or interverbals answering questions? And those are the four elementary verbal operants, the man, the tact, the echoic, and the interverbal. And they make up expressive language. Uh, expressive speech, but you can also have expressive language in terms of um, uh, using sign language, for instance. So the sign for water is still verbal behavior. And so there's a lot of work in terms of sign language. And it does get complicated, but basically it's a methodology that we really are looking at um, verbal expressive language as much as possible, not just getting kids to sit and attend to matching and receptive ID. We really want to work on expressive language, especially the MAND. The MAND it should be the centerpiece of everybody's program because with the MAND or request, there's something in it for the child. They're thirsty, they want water, they request water, and they get water. And so that antecedent of being thirsty, behavior of requesting water, whether that's vocally or through sign, and then getting the water creates this like something in it for me. And so if we really can focus on manding, no matter what the age of the student is, we're gonna be in much better shape. 
Yeah, that's awesome. That's, you know, I think so many teachers can get on board with that because they see right away how, you know, the reinforcement is built right into that response that you're teaching. And I know that's something we talk about all the time here. Um, so to kind of switch gears, you know, I were one of the reasons that we wanted you to join today was to hear about your new book. I was chatting with Mary before we started that I read the first two chapters um, this morning. Um, so I would love for you to share a little bit with everyone about your new book and what's it about and when it comes out. Yeah, so um, it kind of, I got the idea to write my second book. I was not actually going to write a book, another book, because in the process of learning what to do, writing my first book, getting my PhD, people were like, okay, you have your PhD. It was 2011 when I got my PhD. Um, what are you going to do now? And I was like, I have to figure out how to get this message out online because I was going door to door. At that point, I had led the, left the grant program through Pennsylvania and I started working in young kids' houses through a contract with birth to three kids. So I was implementing my approaches that I'd learned and also my nursing background, my behavior analyst, my mom background, my advocate background, and working with kids without a diagnosis mostly. They were very young and they had signs of autism a lot of times. Most of them did not have a diagnosis. So anyway, I was like, I need to figure out how to get my message out online. So in 2015, I created my first online course and that's what I've been doing. Um, and what I really um, then got this new, not new passion, but like I have to help these moms, especially and early intervention professionals of very young children, because now the rate of autism wasn't isn't one in 500 like it was when Lucas was diagnosed. Now it's about one in 50 and about one in six kids have some kind of developmental disorder like ADHD, autism, learning disabilities, speech disorders, cerebral palsy. So one in every six eight-year-olds, this is a CDC statistics, has one of the developmental disorders. So we have to get to the babies, the toddlers and the preschoolers it doesn't matter if it ends up to be autism or not. We have to get to the parents and we have to educate them not to just sit and wait and worry because with the autism rate being so high and the developmental disorder being so high, we really have to repair the trajectory of it as soon as it gets off track. So mm -hmm. as soon as they stop babbling or never start babbling, as soon as they lose eye contact and don't imitate and start to have tantrums around picky eating and won't sleep through, through the night in their own bed, we've got to get. To, and my toddler preschooler course was really showing such really remarkable um, success stories that um, I decided actually in 2019, I... Um, made up my mind that I was going to write another book and that my first book, The Verbal Behavior Approach, really takes ABA like from the traditional ABA approach to the verbal behavior approach and, and that sort of thing. And I would say that the verbal behavior approach is more for six-year-olds. You know, I mean, we talk about early intervention and stuff, but it's not like autism is an emergency, signs, yeah. it doesn't matter what it is, you know, and that's really the message of my new book, which is called Turn Autism Around, an action guide for parents of young children with early signs of autism. It is um, 
It is going to be in hardback. I read it for Audible, and it's also in Kindle. It comes out March 30th, but it's available for pre-order. And I have a launch team. As soon as you pre-order the book, and come join our launch team, and you can get special. That's how um, Sasha got to read the first two chapters. We're going to release a few more. And um, I have some videos of Temple Grandin. She wrote the foreword for the book. It's been endorsed by many leaders in the field, including Dr. Mark Sundberg, Bridget Taylor, Bill Heward, um, MDs have, have backed it, a developmental pediatrician, Cheryl Tierney, um, Lucas's psychiatrist, Dr. Michael Murray, who's been extraordinary. Um, so it's really just uh, encouraging parents, mostly, but also early intervention professionals and if you are a teacher out there listening or watching and you have eight or 10 year olds, but they are still functioning in some areas as a one to five year old in terms of talking, if they're not conversational, in terms of problem behaviors, if they have any problem behaviors, if they are struggling with toileting, with eating, being picky eater, sleeping through the night in the own bed. I even have a chapter on desensitization to the doctor's dentist haircuts. I know so many kids, no matter what the age of the child, they struggle with this. So I'm really, uh, it's it's been a ton of work to write the second book, but I'm <laughs> so excited. So you can find all the information at turnautismaround.com. And, um, you know, I've really encouraged people listening to pre-order the book to join our launch team because I'm really trying to create very much like you are, Sasha, like a movement to to really better everybody's life. Like yeah. it's not just about the kids either. It's so motivating for your teachers out there. I mean, we're kind of preaching to the choir because they're here, they're listening. Right. And so they get it. They get how vital this information is, but we can change our own lives too, because once we see what happens when good techniques are put in place and, you know, you may have had success, but you can have even more success the more you learn. Yeah. And like, and the role a great teacher can play in a family's life, I mean, is, is truly life changing. And I know, I mean, all of these teachers on this call, I know are just some rock star teachers here. So I know they have that impact and that potential to have that impact so I think the more we can learn about the best ways to communicate with parents about these things that sometimes are hard to communicate about. Um, I know I've seen some of you guys pop some questions in here. Please feel free to keep popping questions in and I will um, make sure to get to them. Melinda just said, I need this book for my classroom and some of my parents. And Melinda, I agree with you on that. I like having a tool to recommend because kind of like what you said earlier, Mary, is when people are like, how do you teach this? You're like, I can't tell you that right now because it's a big thing, but instead, let me give you a book that explains it. So I think having a book like this with that touches on, you know, toileting and sleeping and going to the dentist, because parents come to teachers about those topics, like, hey, we haven't gotten a haircut in six weeks or six months, as you notice, what do I do? It, our, our reach goes far beyond academics. Right. And a lot of people, well-meaning people, you know, give the wrong advice because they just don't know, you know, well, you probably just have to hold them down, you know, people would say, or, you know, which it, which is really can affect a lot of things in my, in chapter 13, which is all about desensitization to the doctor, dentist, and haircuts. Um, we had a member, so I have online courses and then I have 
um, an ongoing membership. So there's one mom who her daughter made all kinds of gains. She went from two words to over 500 words in a matter of weeks um, using the courses. And so she she's in chapter eight. She starts off chapter eight because it was like really great, great strides. And um, but then she posted a month or two later that all of a sudden her daughter was freaking out when she tried to give her a bath and she didn't know what to do. So she posted in the group like uh, my daughter was screaming to get in the bathtub. And so I jumped in and I said, you know, by chance, did somebody try to hold your daughter down for an appointment, for a medical appointment? And she said, yeah, she had just had an MRI. And because the kids are little and, you know, they held her down and then um, that spilled over to the bathtub. And she didn't even think about that. But and then we gave her ideas step by step how to repair the bathroom, bathtub. Mm -hmm. For instance, like have her play in the bathtub with with special toys, with no water, with her clothes on. Like mm -hmm. that's kind of where we have to start. And then we start. And so we gave her a list of things to try. We said, you know, it's just going to have to be, it's kind of like a dance, you know, there's, there's definitely science behind it, but it's just definitely a, a dance of some art in there too. Cause mm -hmm. you're going to have to let the child's behavior lead you without getting to the point where she gets upset, you know? So you're going to have to kind of, uh, desensitize and watch their behavior. But, you know, in, in a matter of days, I think it was under a week, she posted that it was all better. And now the daughter was saying more time in the bathtub and, you know, she was mandating to continue. And so I'm like, okay, I'm yeah. writing this chapter. Can yeah. you write down exactly what you did? <laughs> and how ugly that like could have turned out, like you said, with the wrong advice. If someone had just said too bad, she has to take a bath. Let's force her in there this could have escalated to an even bigger problem and maybe even caused turmoil than in other areas of their household or school or whatnot, you know, if that keeps escalating. And that's, I think what happens is, is things get paired up as aversives mm -hmm. and then, you know, the, the doctor, Oh, we have to hold them down for an ear check. And then all of a sudden they're freaking out with a haircut, which isn't like that, but it can spill over. And then, family photographs. Now all of a sudden, you know, it's just anybody that shows up now that wants to make the child do anything, they're freaking out. Yeah. And so um, I know I've been to hundreds, if not thousands of lectures by other people all along the whole two decades. And I, I know one of the people that did desensitization lecture, you know, really started triggering in me some really great advice. And, and for Lucas, I had to desensitize haircuts and dentists and all kinds of things, blood draws. And even um, Lucas recently, well, back in the fall, he had to have a couple COVID tests. Oh. So, you know, we don't have any experience with him getting a COVID test. He does not like things in his ears for sure. And, you know, nose is kind of and so we just broke it down, you know, showed him some videos online, um, offered a strong promise reinforcer at the end, modeled the person getting it before him so he could watch. He could assist with, you know, yeah. um, 
counting is a good procedure for him, singing songs, you know, like all the techniques. But the last thing you want to do, if unless it's an emergency, is hold a child down, even if they're little. Yeah. It'll probably backfire. God, did you ever think you'd have to like walk through a procedure for like a swab up the nose? Like, my gosh, like two years ago, like. <laughs> I know. And like a lot of families struggle with, with kids wearing masks or, yeah. or face shields. And um, so it's not like I have everything figured out for every child, but I, I have a procedure actually, I, as I was writing the book, you know, really came up with like the four steps to the turn autism around approach, which is assessment. You have an easy 10 minute assessment, assessment form planning and making sure your goals are appropriate. Um, intervening and teaching, which is most of what we cover. And then easy data collection to make sure that your techniques are working. Yeah, I love that. Um, you know, thinking about kind of where we are in the world right now and and like potentially how many desensitization, <laughs> you know, things like might have to be coming up with going back to school um, and things like that. What advice do you have for teachers, especially as we're kind of like switching gears in this heightened, like everyone's, you know, at stress level 10 right now, if we're going in between hybrid schedules and these constant changes, what kind of like general advice do you have um, for teachers right now? Yeah, well, I think it would be, you know, really looking at the the one page assessment form that's a part of the book. It's also a part of my three-step guide and that sort of thing. It's going to be, so for every form that's in the book, I have a free PDF form where you can download it. But I think if, if I were a teacher and I was getting eight kids, whether that's in the beginning of the year or now mid-year, you know, I would want to get my finger on the pulse very quickly of where is Johnny at? Mm-hmm. Okay, he's eight years old and, you know, you and the parent over Zoom can complete this one page assessment. How does he sleep? What's he eat? Oh, he still takes a pacifier or a bottle or he uses utensils or he, he won't eat mushy food. He doesn't like the sight of things. How about potty training? Does he potty train through the night? And things that you as a teacher may actually not even usually assess or usually look at. Um, and then, of course, the one-page assessment also gets into language. How do they request things? How do they label things? Do they talk? Do they sign? Do they use pictures? Um, do they follow directions to touch the body parts? Do they follow directions in the classroom? Problem behaviors, like, okay, they flop on the ground. Is that 10 times a day or 10 times a month? Mm-hmm. Or self-injurious behavior. Okay. What does that look like? Are they hitting their head with an open palm, closed fist? Is it 10 times a day or 10 times a week? Um, Are they biting their knuckle? Are they opening, drawing blood? Do they have an open lesion on their head? I mean, I think it's just so important that teachers get a quick assessment. I know with the, with the verbal behavior project, you know, we were in there and Everybody was expected to get a BB map done. Well, getting a BB map done on a level two or level three learner, (laughs) which is all about, that's covered in my verbal behavior bundle courses. I mean, that is intense. Yeah. How to teach prepositions and pronouns. Like usually that stuff, that's when somebody asks how to teach prepositions, 
it's usually not the not the right goal. Mm-hmm. Like, are they safe? Are they talking? Are they potty trained? Can yeah. they brush their teeth? Uh, do, do they freak out? Like, are they rolling around on the floor? Like, prepositions are usually um, too high. But yeah. I I just quickly want to get a handle on my students. So even if you're doing Zooms now, I think getting this book, doing the one-page assessment with the families can really get you on the same page. Like, I remember, this is a kind of a, weird story, but we were with the verbal behavior project and, and there was a six year old there and he was, you know, I saw him eating corn chips and doing like, he had a couple, you know, words or whatever that I saw. So his parents really, his parent, his mom wanted to come in and meet with me. I'm like, that's fine. You know, she can come in at the end of the day or whatever. So uh, she comes in and I'm like, okay. Um, So her husband was in uh, Iraq, I think he was overseas and she had two kids, one with autism. And, and so I was going through like my one page assessment, the rendition that I had back then. I mean, this is a while ago and I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, turns out like he's not potty trained at all, which I didn't even really know. Cause it was the beginning of the year, you know, right. and I'm like, okay, well, you know, six and wearing diapers. And she was financially really having a hard time. And, and she was telling me that and she couldn't bring him to the grocery store because he'd clear the shelves. And I'm like, boy, this doesn't look like the little kid that I saw. You know what I mean? Like yeah. really different behaviors and different stressors that I didn't realize. And then I got to the food and I'm like, okay, what does he eat? And she's like corn chips, French fries, you know, Cheerios. And I go, okay, any fruit or vegetables or meat, you know? And she casually said, well, only in the baby food. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, you give him baby food. And she's like, yeah, it's the only way I can get any fruits or vegetables or meat into him. And I'm like, okay, well, like how many jars of baby food? I'm not even like, and she said 52 jars a week. Wow. But, you know, like you as a teacher or as a behavior analyst or speech pathologist, like nobody's going to bring that up. It's not on the IEP, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you're not thinking like, whoa. Yeah. Now, like when I was in classrooms, I used to be like, gosh, I wonder what this kid does all weekend. Yeah. Like I can't even imagine like how much work it is to keep this child safe and engaged in something. Yeah. Um, but I, I think now more than ever with COVID and with shutdowns, you know, working with families online, you can see, um, I think the more, the more clear we get on actually what's going on 24 seven, the better our IEP goals can be and the better the student will do. That's such great advice. I mean, and looking at, you know, the whole child and, and really those are going to be things that make the big impact in a family, not knowing propositions. It's not needing to buy 52 jars of baby food a week. Like I had a very, very similar story um, where I was talking to a parent who was a single mom with four kids. We were talking about her morning routine before the bus comes. And she's like, my morning's fine. Don't worry about my morning. And I was like, no, no, no. I'm worried about your morning. Like, why does your morning fine? Like, let, let me hear. And she's like, and I found out that she got her kids fully dressed before they woke up. And I was like, okay, I, I get, you got to do what you got to do before the bus comes. But like, let's break this down. And on the weekends, we got to start having your eight and nine-year-old get themselves dressed. Like, yes, in a, in a perfect world, I would love to wake up fully dressed, but that's not sustainable. So 
yeah, that's, I mean, I, I love that advice on, on digging in and having that Zoom call. And, you know, the one silver lining of COVID has probably been getting a real, real glimpse into people's lives. Um, one thing I would love to hear your advice on, and if anyone wants to drop a few more questions before um, we wrap up, I will go through them here. But, you know, as a parent too, and, you know, obviously you work with so many parents, what's your advice on, on talking about these topics with parents that maybe don't seem open to talking about it? You know, I loved your line in the first chapter of your book. You said speech and social delays are an emergency. Like, I want to like write that, you know, I want teachers to write that on their, on their mirror and, and kind of like living and breathing that, how do we like create urgency with parents if we don't see that there yet? Yeah. And I think it depends on the age of the child because, you know, my, my book, Turn Autism Around is, is really meant for parents of one to five-year-olds. And it is an emergency if you have a two-year-old or an 18-month-old or three-year-old who is off track and, you know, and then, you know, but if it's a 10-year-old that's, speech and social delay, you know, the mom and the dad are most likely been in a state of chronic stress. And maybe to them, the speech and social isn't as big of a deal as toilet training, sleeping, yeah. eating, um, and that sort of thing. But I think just, you know, and that's why I really do think that my book is really going to help a lot of people because I tell stories the whole time. I give a lot of hope. And I say, you know, if even if your child is 10 year old, 10 years old, there's still progress that can be made. There's still you can put one foot in front of the other and make your life better. You know, we've had uh, examples where people have joined either the toddler preschooler course or the verbal behavior bundle where, you know, parents of eight year olds who have been told that their child's not going to talk, they're nonverbal, you know, they're using a device. But really when I, when they start using my procedures, they actually do get them to talk and, and that you can always, you know, you might not be able to turn things around completely, but you can turn things around for the better. And, you know, one of the moms reported like her, she took the, the first course for her little um, three-year-old and he made all kind of progress. But then she also started using the techniques on the other program to help her 11-year-old. And she said, you know, he had his first bowel movement on the toilet at 11. And it's like, to them, that's that's a major turnaround. Yeah. That's a major positive growth. And so um, I think my, just my, my message is there's always hope for improvement break things down, meet parents where they're at, meet the kids where they're at and don't program too high. And just because the parent wants to talk about the child's reading progress when they're not toilet trained or, you know, send them to my stuff. Like yeah. even before the book's out, like now I have video blogs for over three. I was going to say that you have a video blog for like every topic. I love it. Like, yeah. yeah. So just Google, like, yeah. literally if the, if the child is still having a bottle and they're five or whatever, Google Mary autism bottle. Yeah. <laughs> Mary autism actions, yeah. prepositions, pronouns, diapering, whatever. I probably have something either a video blog or a podcast and maybe um, that will resonate with the parent. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's hearing it from a new perspective too helps, I think. 
Yeah. Um, okay. I have a few great questions coming in here. Um, so speaking of potty training and I have, I love all your stuff on potty training. I have talked a lot on my social media channels about my personal experiences, potty training <laughs> from a parent perspective. And I had a very humbling year this year. I have potty trained many, many kids, you know, in classrooms and clinics and in home, like verbal, nonverbal, like, Oh, I'm a BCBA. I got this potty trained my first daughter in a weekend, my second man. She's giving me a run for my money, but it'll get done. Um, Michelle asked, do you have advice on potty training a child who does not seem to have the sensation? Parents are willing to try, but he's very low tone, low arousal, and we're not sure what he's feeling. Yeah. And do you know how old the child is? Did she say? She did not say. Yeah. So I would say if a child is, no matter what age a child is and what their functioning level is, it, it probably wouldn't hurt to get a little child size potty and to pair up the potty and just have them sit a couple times a day. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to hurt anything. And I think one of the mistakes is people wait until they think their child is ready and then, mm-hmm. okay, they're three or four. Okay. Let's, you know, get out the potty and then the child won't sit. And so, she just said she's that he said it. Yeah. Yeah. So after age five, Fox and Azrin, who are potty training specialists for decades, um, suggest, and I believe this, that even um, kids with very um, low IQs um, can be pot- can and should be potty trained. So I would um, I wouldn't do like a fast approach or whatever, but I would start and at seven, you know, you don't go on the little potty anymore, obviously probably too big for that, um, is if they're not currently sitting the child, I would definitely sit the child and just use my procedures to, um, pair that up. Always boys, always sit until you're fully potty of bowel trained, Mm -hmm. um, because there's many, I'm sure the teachers listening can have many examples of where <laughs> boys are P-trained, but bowel movements are a problem and they'll be requesting diapers and all that kind of stuff. So we want kids to sit. Also, our Western diet has made kids chronically constipated. And um, so for this boy who's seven, who is low sensation and that sort of thing, I would just uh, make sure you... Um, He's not constipated, that he's going every day, maybe twice, once or twice a day. If if you have a, chi- a child, boy or girl, that's going every three days or something, that they're, they're probably very constipated and that's going to affect your bowel and bladder. So get some success. I mean, there are kids with, you know, uh, cerebral palsy and autism and, you know, a bunch of different things that... Um, you know, you might need a medical evaluation or something, but I wouldn't um, assume somebody's too low functioning or too low tone to be potty trained. Thank you. That's great advice. Um, Rebecca asked if you have experience or can you speak on um, children on the spectrum that are dual language? So, um, you know, and maybe, if, you know, families that speak one language or are speaking a different language at school. What's kind of your experience with that? Yeah. And it's kind of a little on the controversial end. My, my, usual, um, advice. And, uh, I believe just like when you teach sign language, so say you have a child with zero, zero words. Um, I think you have to start with, you know, five to 10 
signs and everybody say the same thing, you know, are you going to call this drink or your cup or water or milk or whatever you're going to call this? Um, and you, what are you going to sign? Are you going to sign water? Or are you going to sign drink? Or, you, you know, and so everybody has to be consistent with those first, say, 10 words mm-hmm. um, till we can get hopefully, and it may involve more like 50 or 100 words, but till we can get a color control and we can get some real basis going. Um, so I had a family, Chino, he's in many of my videos, he's in my book. Um, and the family, when I got there, had a three-year-old, uh, Chino was 20 months old and a newborn baby. And they had planned to raise their kids in a bilingual household, Spanish and English. They were living near me in Pennsylvania and mom was a teacher. And, um, and they asked me that question and I said, well, I don't, I don't know Spanish. I mean, he only has a couple pop out words. It's not a huge deal, but let's just try to teach him, you know, 10 or 20 words in English. And then, you know, because he also had an OT that spoke English and a PT that spoke English, you know, and um, so he learned English and then he went to preschool and that was English. So I, and we, we have people from over 80 countries who have taken my courses. So we have lots of bilingual households, lots of trilingual households. And it's a personal decision first, but I would look at what is the language of the school or the, or the early intervention professionals. And if, especially if the family is bilingual, they can speak either, but I do have a video blog on it. And I also have a podcast with somebody that took my courses and, um, her son on the podcast, as well as Chino, became fully conversational and fully bilingual um, as I got a little bit older. So my advice, which is contrary to what most people say, but I think most people don't work with kids with severe autism that are non-vocal, is uh, my advice is to get the first 10 or 100 words in one language. Mm-hmm. And if possible, if the family is bilingual, to to choose the language of the professionals and what will be the preschool and the regular school. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay. So last like question or two, so we don't take up too much of your time. So some, I love this question. Melinda asks, what's the best way to bulk order 10 or more of the books? Cause I want to share them with colleagues and parents, which I think I like that. Just like handing them out like Halloween candy. <laughs> well, in fact, I just um, did a podcast interview with Dr. Cheryl Tierney, who's a developmental pediatrician, and she got off the call and she ordered 100 copies um, to give out to her patients. So you go to turnautismaround.com and there will be um, a button for bulk orders and a button for international orders. Now the international button, button actually gets you 30% off, but you have to pay shipping and stuff. Whereas Amazon might be, you know, your best, best bet, but bulk orders, especially like a hundred, you can get, you know, a good discount with the bulk order. Um, so go to turnautismaround.com. We give you all the links if you want to buy it on Amazon or bulk order and then join the launch team too, because anybody that buys 10 of my books, I want them on my launch team. Yeah. And I really recommend asking your administrators, like they can only say no, but they might say yes. Like saying, Hey, I want to buy this book to give to the clinicians on our team, on our IEP team. And I want to buy one for each family. Like there's money in school budgets. I know we all think there's not, 
it's hidden sometimes in there. So, you know, ask your administrators, they may be open to, to covering that cost for you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what Dr. Tierney did. She has a grant that buys uh, both books and she used to actually give out my first book and now she's, she has read the draft of this and she's like, okay, switching gears here. Um, this one's going to be better, especially for families. Uh, and I think, you know, people are like, well, I already read the first one. Do I need the second one? Or like, how are they? They're very different. Mm-hmm. They're, they're compatible. Um, as a teacher, you, you definitely might be interested in both of them. And I think especially for, you know, our early childhood teachers listening, you know, pre-K, like I always think, you know, I have this vision of like a mom and this is built off of so many different scenarios, but, you know, mom coming in with the three-year-old on her hip and her one arm is like super jacked because she has not let that 80 pound three-year-old off her hip in three years. And like, they're leaving their, their baby, their whole world in your classroom. And yeah, there's of course going to be a million stressors and a lot to talk about. And it might be a more comfortable way to initiate those conversations when you're giving resources and, and, you know, the mom can watch, read the book or watch a vlog after the kid goes to bed or takes a nap versus at pickup or at quick IEP meetings. There's not always time to delve into, you know, diet and nutrition and eating, but I know your book touches on all of those big topics, especially for those younger kids that we really want to touch on that as soon as we can. And the siblings, um, I thought you were going to say the mom was also pregnant because oh, maybe. <laughs> siblings of kids on the spectrum, um, the studies range from 19% of, of, that the second one child will be affected to up to like 35% or something. It was really high. Wow. Um, and so the techniques in my book will work if the child is typically developing. It's really just great engagement with Mm -hmm. the parent and the child or the teacher and the child. There's nothing in here that's like, oh, that's going to be a bad idea if it doesn't turn out to be autism. It's all very child-friendly. There's no escape extinction, no punishment. It's a total child-friendly. Looking at the whole forest, looking at every dynamic, and really just, I say in the book, actually, at the beginning and the end, I want three things for both of my sons who are, both young adults now, Lucas has moderate severe autism, Spencer's in medical school. I want three things for my sons and all of your kids and your students, be as safe as possible, as independent as possible, and as happy as possible, and reach their fullest potential. That's all I want. Um, And I think my approach will get you to that moving target of full potential, because once you hit your full potential, you're, you're right there. And there's there's no time to let up. Like, you know, my son, Lucas, is 24. He still needs 24-7 supervision, and he's still, um, you know, there's new obstacles that come up, okay? COVID test, okay? Now his his daytime program that he used to go to closed during COVID, and now he didn't go back. And, you know, and there's advocacy, and I really want to teach the parents how to be the best teacher and advocate for life and to work with professionals. You know, I wanted to be really careful to honor the professionals that will come into their lives as well, and to really encourage them to get professionals who are willing to work with them. And I know everybody here listening, I mean, like I said, we're preaching to the choir, but, you know, there are professionals that don't want the parents' input and don't want to deal with all that extraneous stuff. But you can't, you can't work with a child and really make true progress without working with the families. And I think your listeners know that. Yeah. 
Yeah, Jennifer said, yeah, we're always looking to improve the homeschool connection. Um, thanks for helping educators open those doors. Well, yeah, on that note, you know, Mary, thank you so much. Um, you know, there's so much valuable knowledge from you. And like I said, I love I love that your approach is, is whole child focus. I love that you see it from a parent and from a behavior analyst and and all of the content you share is just so is so shareable, like is something that teachers can really utilize as a resource to send to parents or to watch in a prep or after school when they're tired and they're like, oh, I just got to learn about this. So thank you so much for joining us tonight and for you know sharing all of your knowledge. It's it's really great. Well, thank you. I enjoyed talking to you. I always enjoy talking to you. And I'm really excited about the book. So turn autismaround.com for all the information. And I hope to see you and all of your members again real soon. Thanks, Mary. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one -on -one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.